Orange, you glad we watched the OC, where these gloves are giving us serious sausage arms. I'm Sarah, and this is Evan, my co-host. Today, we are discussing episode four of season one of the OC, The Debut. Evan, how are you doing? I'm, lo- I'm looking something up. Well, this makes for thrilling podcasting. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Man, what a fucking episode. Jesus Christ. Why don't you tell me what you remember about the episode as concisely as possible? Okay. Um, this is what we're calling the Steve Roundup or the Steve Wrap Up or something like that, right? Okay. Steve, you better be listening to this. <laughs> okay. Episode. Is this episode four or three? Four? Four. Okay. That's right. Okay. Because um, episode one was the. I kind of want to. I kind of want to give myself like give the context for this. Episode one was the pilot. Pilot. Where we were introduced to Ryan. Episode two. What we're probably not going to be able to do this for the entire show, are we? No. <laughs> Remembering every single episode, every single. <laughs> episode two was is not gonna be like the game where you're like <laughs> you and having- i had an apple <laughs> <laughs> and carrie had a banana <laughs> yeah okay yeah no screw it so episode four the debut okay um we start with ryan being officially inducted into the cohen family uh ryan and seth are playing a playstation game and uh sandy and kirsten come home and they're like ryan we need to speak with you alone and seth sashays his extremely long torso around the corner <laughs> you noticed yeah what's his name brian drovey brody doven Droven humpster Brian adam brody i knew it had an o and a y and a d in it um his torso is really really long Anyway, uh, Sandy and Kirsten are like, all right, Ryan, here's the deal. If you're going to be a Cohen, you need to stop getting in trouble because we are going to be your legal guardians, right? Um, so essentially stop punching people is kind of what they ask him gently. I am sure this directive is not going to come back later in the season, <laughs> nor be featured heavily in a previously on montage. Yeah, God. Well, I mean, this, it fucking comes up immediately later in this episode. But anyway, so Ryan's officially a Cohen. Everyone is stoked. Um, somehow we transition to Cotillion. Uh, the whole the whole episode centers around Cotillion, um, which as far as I can tell with a brief internet search is um, a way for the gentried whites to um, present their breeding age females to potential owners, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's basically the yeah, man. Thinking about it now, Cotillion was very white. There was not a single person of color in that entire sequence. But we'll get to that, sweetie. We have already seen the one person of color throughout this whole series. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> is it? I'm pretty sure it was in it episode one. No, it's not. The maid. <laughs> Who does not make an appearance at all in this episode? Yes. Okay. So, uh, Kirsten is like, now that you're a Cohen. Uh, the very first thing that we're going to do is drag you to this stuffy, um, esoteric, uh, rite, um, that we partake in every year where girls who are coming of age, uh, are presented to Newport as, I don't know, available for dating. Is I don't quite get it. Fucking. <laughs> um, 
And Ryan's like, that sounds, that sounds like a bad, I don't, I don't see how that, that, no, that's, you said not to get in trouble. Are people going to be there? I don't do well around people. And Kirsten is like, no, it's fine. You have to come. And Seth is like, you gotta be my win, my wingman, bro. Cause summer is going to be there. And Seth, for some reason, despite having manifested a modicum of a spine in the previous episode, um, the 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 bet or the the, the risk or the, the chance the gamble thank you uh even though he he showed a little bit of courage in the face of summer who obviously can't stand him i don't actually think that he did no no remember that was the episode we made a big deal out of the fact that she couldn't get his name right mm-hmm. and he was still following her around like a little puppy but at the end when when ryan's mom falls down he's like I'm leaving you, Summer, to help Ryan's mom. It, I Whatever. It's not much, but it's something, you okay. know, for the Seth Cohen character, who really continues to be just a giant asshole in this episode. So everyone convinces Ryan that he needs to attend Cotillion. I want to point out that we have been talking for six minutes and 25 seconds at this point, and you're still trying to summarize the plot. Mm. It's going to keep going. <laughs> well, these fucking plots, a lot fucking happens. Um, so, okay, everything centers on Cotillion. Um, Ryan and Seth go to get their suits fitted, or their tuxedos, excuse me. Uh, and, of course, who else is there but Marissa and Luke and Summer. It's a who's who of characters, right? It's a who's who of people who have already been established in the world of this television series, and there is nothing new under the sun, ad infinitum, ex machina deus. Exactly. exactly. However, um, okay, so uh, uh, Marissa is super into Ryan. Uh, that, ha- that, that happens nonstop this episode. She seeks him out in every single scene, despite the fact that she knows full well that that is driving Luke up a wall. So I'm just going to interject for a second, even though we're like, I don't know, a third of the way through the plot, because you're bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a really important thing that I noticed. There's a theme emerging in this first season. Ryan knows what's good for him. No one listens to Ryan. Yeah, Discuss. Absolutely no one listens to Ryan. Okay, we'll, we'll continue the, the synopsis while addressing this concern. So this is the perfect example. Um, Kirsten and Sandy, right, just got done asking Ryan not to get in trouble, right? Okay. They know from, from his history that Luke is a catalyst for conflict, right? Kirsten knows Luke is going to be taking Marissa as her date to Cotillion. Uh-huh. Kirsten, of course, knows this. Kier- Ryan is like, I don't think I should go because it's a bad idea. He doesn't elaborate because I don't necessarily think he feels like he fucking has to. But Kirsten's very cavalier about it. No, 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 no. You are a Cohen now. This is the best way to introduce you to people. Blah, blah, blah. Same thing with Seth. Seth, God, what? I made a joke at some point where it's Seth's like, come on, Ryan. Come on, boy. Let's go. Like, Ryan is essentially treated like Seth's puppy uh, this whole episode. It's just arm candy for Seth uh, to make him a little bit more interesting. Um, Anyway, so that's one example of people not fucking listening to Ryan, even though he obviously understands that conflict will follow him, especially if he comes into contact with Luke, who is his primary antagonist in this storyline. Like, I think the adults can be forgiven a little bit more for being, especially Kirsten, because Kirsten is just kind of floating all over the place and, like, whatever. Um, The adults can be forgiven a little bit more for not intuitively knowing what's going on in Ryan world and what the catalyst is for his situation. But Marissa has no such excuse. The teens have no excuse. The the every teen in this episode acts like a person who does not give a shit about Ryan Atwood and want him to blow up for their amusement. Yeah, exactly. Um <clears throat> perfect example. Okay. Um there's a little bit of a scuffle um, 
Is it at the, it's at the party, right? Yes, of course. They get fitted for their fucking cotillion things. And of course, one of these blondes is like, and now everybody's going to come to my house for the, for the post dress rehearsal party that I throw every year. It's the same pool house as in episode one. And Seth is like, you didn't do it last year. And she's like, um, yes, I did. And Seth's like, oh, that means that I wasn't invited to that. That means I've never been invited to that. And he's like, great, cool, thanks. Um, And Marissa's like, you should both come, knowing full well that Luke is going to be there and that Luke hates Ryan. That they fucking burned down a house in their fucking fight at one point. Like, Marissa, get her through your fucking skull. They should not be in the same room together. One of the observations that I made while we were watching this episode was the idea of she could also sort of trying to be passively getting uh, Luke to dump her by her actions, which I think she'd have to be a little more self-aware for that, possibly, and also not 17 years old. Yeah, no, Marissa's character is vapid but and it, empty. But it could also be a subconscious thing that she's doing. She likes Ryan because he's not Luke and because he's got a little bit of danger and mystique to him. Um, that's my take. <clears throat> my, my take on the whole thing. He's, and he smoked one cigarette. <laughs> he's from a different world, you know? Um, and she likes that about him. Same reason Seth likes him. Seth likes him because he gives him cachet. Uh, Marissa likes him because, Marissa likes him because Julie hates him. That is my takeaway on that. Um, but we can get into that later because Julie makes her opinion of Ryan especially known in this episode. Okay, so Cotillion is the primary focus point for the teens in this episode. But here's the thing. We need to go back to the party. I'm so sorry. Yep. No, because what's the first thing Ryan arrives, Seth ditches him instantaneously to try and cling to summer who wants nothing to do with him. She could not be more obviously nauseated by Seth's presence. Like she makes it so painfully clear that she doesn't want him to talk to her or look at her or have anything to do with her. So Seth abandons Ryan immediately in this den of vipers who do not like him. None of these rich kids like Ryan Atwood. That's also a fun message to reinforce for all of the teens watching this. If a woman says no. Oh, just keep harassing her. Just keep harassing her. Just buzz around her like a little mosquito. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just keep keep being ever present in the hopes that maybe you can wear down her defenses enough that she'll stick with you or something like you that. You and Have your long ass weird torso. <laughs> your huge torso. <laughs> Just slither up like a boa constrictor with your enormous <laughs> torso and your little black Farrah Fawcett feathered hairstyle. And, and just say, be like, Summer, I'm Seth Cohen. <laughs> I'm doing like a Disney, yeah. like a snake voice. Yeah, yeah, I got that. So Ryan... <laughs> He plays it cool. He plays it low key. He sits on the couch and he doesn't engage with anyone because, again, nobody in Newport Beach likes Ryan. He is an outcast, not of his own fault, just because they're rich snobs who do not like him. Um, What the fuck does Marissa do? She sees him and instantly engages with him. And of course, Luke sees this. And what does Luke say? Luke comes up and he's like, there's all these people in this room. And the very first one you have to talk to is my girlfriend. And Ryan's like, why don't you let her speak? Like, Ryan also just needs to stop talking to Luke, essentially. Because, mm-hmm. like, Luke is in a position of power and privilege where Luke will never, ever, ever face consequences for any of his actions. Ryan, however, is walking a thin fucking tightrope. I disagree a little bit because Luke is in a position of power where no matter what anybody says, he's going to react the same way, I think. Yeah, but I'm saying he won't face consequences for his actions. This is a perfect example. But, like, Ryan could say nothing. Oh, no, I guess that's true. Yeah, no, that's very true. Yeah, the outcome would be the same. Gonna wail on you, bro. Gonna gonna wail on you, queer. So... (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's more. Well, we'll get to that later. Uh-huh. Um, so, <laughs> Ryan's like, I'm going to leave. And Marissa's, again, Ryan knows what's best for him. 
He's like, this is obviously a situation where I am not wanted. Uh, I promised my new guardians that I wouldn't get into trouble. So the right thing to do is remove myself from this situation. Because shit is getting tense and I am not wanted here. Fucking Marissa is like, no, you should stay. And Luke is like, why the fuck are you asking him to stay? And, um, I don't know. But then he socks. Um, he, although that's right. Uh, Ryan's like, I'm not going to fight you. And then Luke is like, even if I do this, right? And punches him in the gut. That's at uh-huh. this scene, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Luke falls over. Or no, sorry. Uh, Ryan falls over because he got sucker punched in the gut. Uh, he doesn't fight back. Again, to his credit. Okay. We know Ryan Atwood loves to throw a first punch, right? Mm-hmm. His character trait. He loves to throw a first punch. But only where there's a Cohen. Yeah, maybe he doesn't do it because it's not in defense of someone else. Anyway, um, he turns the other cheek, right? Luke's like, this is bullshit. Marissa's like, you're being an asshole. And then fucking Seth, fucking Seth, comes up to Ryan, who is who is cringing on the ground in pain, and he goes, you're just like a real Cohen. You didn't fight back at all. Fuck you, Seth. Fuck you, you little piece of shit. You brought him here. You knew this shit was going to happen. You abandoned him to these jackals. Fuck you, Seth. Fuck you, Marissa. Here is an observation about Seth. Do you recall the little um, asides that they had a couple of times at the Cohen's house? Seth would walk into a room during a conversation and the line would be something about... If this is about the vase, I didn't have anything to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. If If this is about the rug, I didn't do it. Yeah. So what is going on with that? Is there like a whole second like slapstick half hour comedy that's happening in the background of this? (laughs) Is Seth a werewolf? (laughs) Does he just turn into a werewolf? Oh my God. Does Seth Cohen have lycanthropy? (laughs) This is a subplot that we never get introduced to. And just pee on the rug and, like, smash the vases. Smashing the vases, yeah. If this is about my my inexplicably uh, shredded jeans, uh, I'll be in the other room. (laughs) If this is about all the wolf hair everywhere, uh, I I gotta go do math homework. Lycanthropy watch starts now. (laughs) We're looking for clues. Lycanthropy count one. About Seth Cohen's raging lycanthropy. So they're obviously trying to, like, make him into some kind of comic relief, the schmuck, whatever. But he's still a viable, I don't know, like, person to have a crush on. Seth Cohen? They're, uh, this is getting later in the seasons. You'll, I'm getting ahead of myself, and it's not... Within this episode, I so. don't think he's viable as anything you right can, now. You can probably. I cut just want to sock him in his face <laughs> the entire time he's on the screen. No, we're leaving this in. I just want to punch him. <laughs> I want to. I want to full. I want to <laughs> roll up his enormous shirt, exposing his gigantic torso, and just beat at him like saltwater taffy. <laughs> is what I want to do. So let's touch a little bit on. What's going on drama-wise with the adults? Mm-hmm. Okay, but real quick, last observation that I have about the cotillion business. Mm-hmm. The scene, one of the things that starts setting Luke off is Ryan and Marissa are partnered together during the learn how to dance oh for cotillion Oh my god, scene. that's right. This oh, scene- She partners herself with him. Again, yes. during the fucking dance, Marissa's like, oh, you'll be my partner- even though, oh, we're introduced to a new character. Anna. Anna. We gotta get to Anna. Who is super cute. Um, yes, but we'll fucking get to Anna. Okay. She's also new. So Marissa pisses off Summer, uh-huh. who is into Ryan. <laughs> this and is also Summer's bra count number two. Yes, and the Marissa teaching Ryan how to dance scene is the reverse of... Every scene in every movie or television show where a guy tries to teach a girl how to play pool. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. There are some really great smolder moments in this episode. Smolder moment number one is absolutely where she's teaching him to dance. She's like, okay, so the girl 
puts her hand. That's right. She's trying to teach both of them to dance at first. The guy puts his He's hand. He's like, the girl puts her puts her hand on the shoulder. And Anna puts her hand on Ryan's shoulder in a way that new, no human being ever in the history of shoulders has ever put a hand on a shoulder. <laughs> it's like, oh, so you're like an alien species. Oh, my God. She might be an alien. That would make sense why she talks to Seth later. But anyway, we'll get to that. So Marissa's like, no, not like that, you dummy. Let me show you. And she stands in front of Ryan. Oh, and they get, oh, so close. And she puts her hand on his shoulder. And she's like, now you put your hand on my back. And Ryan puts it, like, on her fucking shoulder blade. And he's like, like, here. And she's like, no. (laughs) Lower. And then... We, the camera slowly <laughs> follows his hand as it achingly moves down her back. And we have like, I'm not even shitting you, like seven shot reverse shots of their fucking eyes as his eyes are like, oh my God. You guys, this boner city is your, what's happening. Your back just keeps backing. And then her eyes are like, your hand is on my back. And then it's really, it's like shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot of their faces as we keep cutting this hand as it slowly, painfully goes down her back and finally rests right in the crack of her ass. No, not in the crack of her ass. Like a foot above the crack of her ass. Um, it is so obvious that they both came in their pants during that entire sequence. They're like flushed. They're like, they're doing that thing that shitty actors do where they're pretending to be like flustered. And they're like, anyway, that's how you dance. But then they're, of course, he's caressing her goddamn lower back. When, of course, Luke comes through the fucking door and is like, what the fuck is happening? Because Marissa keeps doing this shit. Yes. So we're going to pause here and pivot to what is going on in adult land. Mm. So Sandy has been catching some sick waves. Because it's the adults that ultimately further the action (laughs) in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In unexpected ways. In very unexpected ways that I really love love to see. So, okay. Sandy has been catching some sick waves, bro. Uh, he comes back from surfing, his hair slightly kissed by the by the dew of the surf. His eyebrows are filled with salt. <laughs> you can just taste the salt in those eyebrows, <laughs> like sea sponges at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and who should trundle along but Jimmy, the next door neighbor? Lil Jimmy Cooper. Lil Jimmy's like, hey, Sandy, you know, um... About the hundred thousand, you know, I, I really should have... The way he phrases it is weirdly misogynist. He's like, you know, when I asked Kirsten, I, I should have asked if it was okay to talk to Kirsten. I should have asked the man if it was okay to ask the woman to borrow money. What a departure from the rest of this series. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else has been misogynist. <laughs> I actually don't think that that's necessarily the point that I would have no, no, had no, no. contention with. If someone wanted to borrow the equivalent of $100,000 from us, which would be... $20? We'd laugh in their face, obviously. <laughs> They'd be like, can I borrow 20 bucks? And we'd be like, get out of my house. <laughs> um, but we would want to, like, check communicate in with, with, each, with other. each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it was the secrecy of it, certainly, that I think Sandy found a little... Right. Yeah, questionable. Jimmy's like, sorry about that. We're all okay. Uh, now, you know, Sandy tries to get out of him, like, what's going on? Like, is everything okay? Do you need help? Jimmy keeps playing it off. No, 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 no. Everything's fine. Right. I also have in my notes that Jimmy's haircut gets progressively worse with every episode. <laughs> Discuss. Um, I really... it's the it's the Caesar. It's the it George the Caesar. Clooney yeah. fucking yeah, thing yeah, 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 that yeah, everybody yeah. had in early 2003. I think we're gonna have to take a look at the hairline. He just next doesn't episode. have the salt and pepper to pull it off, really. Yeah, it's like a dirty sand or the gravitas. No, yeah, certainly not the gravitas. No, no. There's a few interactions with Jimmy in this episode. That reveal a little bit about his character. And it also reveals something about the relationship between Kirsten and Jimmy. But we'll get to that. Uh, so Sandy tries to get some information out of Jimmy to see if he needs help. 
Which is big of Sandy because he it becomes pretty apparent in this episode. He's not a huge fan of Jimmy. Right. He doesn't necessarily care. At least he says he doesn't care about the history between Jimmy and Kirsten. But he kind of cares a little bit. You can kind of tell it's rubbing him a little bit the wrong way. Uh-huh. So in interactions with Jimmy and Julie, we find that things are a little hairier than we were first led to believe. Um, we don't find that out with interactions between Jimmy and Julie. We find it out because I think immediately after oh my God, that's right. with Sandy and Jimmy, the Securities and Exchanges Commission bros <laughs> show up and are like, so you gave Hundo K to this man. All right. And you're aware that that wasn't an investment, correct? And Sandy's like, they show up to Sandy's office and Sandy's like, Ah, uh, yeah, I was just just alone, and then yeah, the SEC is like, "Did you know that he's being ex- uh, examined? Um, I- investigated? Yes. Did you know? <laughs> did you know he's being dissected for fraud?" <laughs> uh, and Sandy's like, "What? Whoa, spray out the formaldehyde, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Peel back the stomach thems. lining, <laughs> you." Uh, um. So Sandy starts to see the full picture of some shit that's going on. He tells Kirsten. Oh, by the way, this dude, like, stole a whole shit ton of money from us and our neighbors who just trusted him. He's basically Bernie Madoffing everybody. Yeah, he's mating off with everyone's fucking cash. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> and we do see why. Um, when, when Jimmy is confronted by Kirsten, um, she shows up. She's, you know, she, she asks Sandy before he, before he kind of breaks the news to all their neighbors, you know, give her one chance to talk to Jimmy and see what's going on to see if it's true. Um, of course, while they're talking, Julie comes upon them and is like, oh, mm, I see you're giving each other head again. Okay, fine. I guess I'll leave. Uh, I'm just kidding you guys. God. Julie's very awkward with their relationship also. None of the spouses are cool with Kirsten and Jimmy's friendship, apparently. Yeah. Anyway, um, Kirsten's like, dude, you know, what's, what's fucking going on here? And it's, it's made beautifully apparent. The, the story does a good job of showing and not telling because in the brief interaction that Julie has with Jimmy, she's like, uh, I've got to sign up, uh, what's her name for ballet. I've got to pay for the, the, the pony thing. I've got to get Marissa's dress. We've got to, she names like five expensive things. And then she's like, which credit card should I use? <laughs> and Jimmy's like, uh, uh, you're going to see him collapsing under the weight of these financial obligations. It is the opposite of Boner City. Yeah. It's sad trombone deflating erection city (laughs) right anyway um it's slide whistle we're slide whistling everybody and not up we're slide whistling down he's like oh use the amex and it's perfect like julie and we talked about this and i think episode two uh julie and jimmy's relationship is about money julie came from riverside Mm -hmm. she is living a life that is comfortable uh, she wants to raise her girls in a comfortable life. And this episode perfectly reveals that as her primary motivation, not just for herself, but for Marissa. She's got deep insecurities about where she's from, and she's trying to compensate for that by giving her children alopecia ponies. <laughs> by giving her children alopecia ponies and by making sure Marissa has a secure future. Mm-hmm. Right? Because this entire episode, every Cotillion-related scene, Julie is angry when Ryan is present, and she is ecstatic when Marissa and Luke are together. And she gets very upset when, lo and behold, uh, in a very, very messy scene later, um, Luke and Marissa appear to split up, Mm -hmm. right? I guess let's jump to Cotillion, because that's essentially where we're at. We should jump to the scene before. Oh, yes. We should jump to. Okay. So Ryan is pretty sure he's not going to go to Cotillion. He goes to Marissa's house to say he's not going to go. And oh, what's this? Marissa is trying on the gown. She's doing the thing where she's like, she's holding it up. It's obviously barely covering what lies beneath. And uh, there's so many shot reverse shots 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> she's like, oh, would you? And he's like, I, I, I could. And she's like, oh, uh, 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 sure. Uh, uh, uh. And so she turns around. We don't exactly see what he does. Her dress closes in a very interesting way. Uh, how would you describe that? Like three window blinds. Yeah. <laughs> This is the it's the Venetian blind of dress closures. Yes. So he does something inexplicable with his hands. We don't know what happens, but that somehow fastens the dress. And once again, it's Boner City. I guarantee fucking tea. Oh yeah, that's right. Because she like pulls her hair aside, and the camera does some extremely male gazey things on her neck and down her back. On the seventeen year old. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're like, you know, we're, we're this close to like a blah, 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 blah. We're close to watching his fucking pants tent. This year's cotillion theme is burlesque. (laughs) So that happens. And he sort of, she's like, so why, why did you, why did you show up? And he goes, when am, when am I supposed to show up to Cotillion? Uh, right, he was going to not go. Now he's totally going because he didn't know she had a neck. But is this before or after the scene where he's hanging out with Sandy Cohen and teaching him how to play video games? What You, you named the video game. What was it? Oh, yeah, they're playing Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> that, okay, so Ryan is going to go. It was a sweet scene. He's Ryan is going to go. But then what happens to make him decide not to go? He talks to Sandy and Sandy is like, these things are terrible. No one should go to them. Marissa's, I think he has intel that Marissa's not going. No, like, he doesn't know Marissa's not no, going to go. Know not he there. thinks she's going because mm. he's laying on his bed in the pool house. I always call it the boathouse. I finally did the right thing. Seth comes in fully dressed in his tux and is like, why aren't you in your tux? This this question gets posed to like seven people in a series of scenes. Seth goes, why aren't you dressed? Ryan's like, I'm not going. And Seth is like, you have to go. Summer won't look at me if you don't go. And Ryan's like, look, dude, we're, we're cool, but I'm literally going to get beat to death by Luke if I fucking go. And Seth's like, fine. Your parents inviting me here is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and I don't want to jeopardize that to kick some guy's ass. But then Seth goes, but you could kick his ass, right? And Ryan's like, yeah. Yeah, I could kick his ass. (laughs) That appeases Seth, who decides he can go to Cotillion. Cut to Kirsten coming upon Sandy, who is also not in his tux, and Kirsten going... Why aren't you dressed? <laughs> and Sandy goes, I don't think I'm going to go to this thing. His reason is, I think, also very valid because he doesn't want to pretend that Jimmy Cooper is some hero of of society when he knows full well he's a thief. Uh-huh. So Kirsten's like, okay, fine, I'm going to go. <laughs> Cut to Julie <laughs> coming upon Marissa, who is not dressed. And Julie goes, why the fuck aren't you dressed? Marissa says, I'm not going to Cotillion. So nobody is going to Cotillion. Does the same thing happen with Jimmy as well? Because doesn't she say something like, I can't stand this family? Oh my God, that's right. She comes upon Jimmy and she's like, why the fuck aren't you dressed? He's like, I don't think I want to go to Cotillion. Oh yes, because he's being hunted like the most dangerous prey by one of his fucking clients. Uh, who is the dad of one of Marissa's friends who is going to be a debutante at Cotillion, who's like, hey, I've got an Holly. investment opportunity. Thank you. Her name Holly's is Holly's dad is like, I have an investment opportunity. I need to take out 200. I need to take out a cool 250K from the investment fund. You know, normal people issues. Just a normal amount of money, you know, to take out of your investments. Uh, and Jimmy's like, um, you, are you sure you want to do that with the market about to turn around? And he's like, yeah, pretty sure I want to do that. So, um, have the money for me at Cotillion. Bye. So Jimmy is going to avoid him and not go to Cotillion. Yes. Does he get forced into going to, he goes to Cotillion, yeah. but I don't remember who forces him. Julie. Julie forces him. Does Julie convince him to go? Julie, yeah. I don't remember specifics on how she forces him to go, but she's, a force when she needs to be. The bad ideas just keep rolling along. Julie gets Jimmy to go to a cotillion. And for a little while there, for a few beautiful moments, it looks like everything is going to be fine. Luke is pissed that Marissa's not there. 
So Summer swoops in like a harpy and is like, oh, excellent. <laughs> Luke is mine now. Um, Jimmy, no, sorry. Um, Sandy and Ryan share a lovely moment together where they play Dynasty Warriors. Um, and Sandy is just adorable. He's like, how do I swing my sword again? And Ryan's like, this is going to be great. Um, and Marissa uh, stands up to her mom. Um, before Julie leaves, which is a really lovely moment. Um, because Marissa has very much been under Julie's thumb this entire episode. Um, it's apparent that Julie wants her to be with Luke. Even though Marissa says, Mom, I'm only 16. 17? 16? 16. Um, you know, as if to say, I'm not gonna, you know, pin down my entire life at 16. And Julie's like, well, she says something along the lines of, Luke comes from a good family. He'll be able to keep you comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's what Julie wants. Like we said before, her primary motivation is for her and her girls to be taken care of and comfortable. Um, and just, God, for a moment, it looks like everything's going to be fine. But then, what happens? Marissa finds out somehow, is it Summer? Someone calls her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why the fuck aren't you here? Ryan's not even here. Summer calls Marissa to tell her that. Yeah. And Marissa's like, oh, Ryan's not even there. Which is another reason why these are, these characters are wet dreams of 30 somethings and not actual teenagers. (laughs) Because IRL, if Ryan and Marissa both discovered that they were essentially home alone, <laughs> they would have not gone to Cotillion, yeah. if you know what I mean. Uh, if nothing else, they would have just gone to the boathouse and made out, right? Or they would have played Samurai... Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Warriors <laughs> with Sandy, Sandy. right? And gotten high. Right? And it would have been a time. Smoke a bowl. Sandy would be like, I'll put some pizza puffs in. A right? time would have been had. That would have been fucking great. They would have listened to Bob Marley. Everything would have been fine. Gotten some wisdom. Nobody would have been punched. But because these are pawns of a <laughs> writing <laughs> staff that needs to forward the action yep. of the series, yep. they go to fucking Cotillion. They go to fucking fucking cotillion and sandy's game god bless his little heart he's like yep let's fucking go to cotillion so they go to cotillion sandy's not wearing his tux <laughs> there's a great moment <laughs> with kirsten and sandy where kirsten's like you least you could do is wear a tux and what does he say something he's, like pick you your gotta battles. pick your battles <laughs> yeah you gotta pick your battles <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so they go through the whole fucking rigmarole of goddamn Cotillion. Um, it's literally the fathers. It's like Bridezilla for 15-year-olds, <laughs> essentially. Because the father gives the daughter wearing a white dress and elbow-length gloves, generally, away to some fucking guy. Just called the White Knight. Which is also a weird fucking thing. Very weird. Who's wearing a full tuxedo and white gloves. This is feeling very Masonic to me for some reason. Evan. Sarah. Are the straights okay? <laughs> no, they are not. No. Definitively, they are not. Um, when does... When does Luke... When does the whole thing happen? Because... They do their stupid little bow thing where the dads give them away. Luke and Marissa break up before the cotillion scene because remember Ryan is Marissa's white knight now. Yes, okay. And they smolder at each other again. Yes, they break up. Um, Cotillion happens. Let's talk a little bit about, what's her name, Annie? Anna. Anna. Anna's the super cute new girl who gets... Initially paired with Ryan by Marissa, uh, but when Ryan says that he's not going, Summer hooks up with Luke, and Seth 
stands in for Ryan to be Annie's white knight. Anna. Anna's white knight. Here, the, the following are the notes that I have taken <laughs> on Anna. Number one. Oh, shit. We're talking. Sorry. Go for it. Go it. Number one. The actress who plays Anna is super fucking mega now. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Oh, no! Yeah, it's gross. But also, she has ska cuffs on her blazer in the cotillion practicing scene. Oh, I didn't notice that. So you love her. Here's a second note that I have on Anna. Comic books versus graphic novel conversation. <laughs> barf, 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 barf. N-log, 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 barf, barf, barf. <laughs> do you know what an N-log is, Evan? I do not. An N-log stands for not like other oh, girls. Oh, I was going to say she's like a manic pixie dream girl. I'm very she surprised. She even has a pixie cut. She does have a pixie cut. I'm very surprised you did not learn this terminology from Tumblr. I've learned it from you. The N-log. It's more important that I learn it from you. Yes. So, basically, they're setting up that Seth is only going to fall for someone who knows about comic books and can call them graphic novels. He was a skater boy. I said, so you did the boy. <laughs> right, something like that. So we're obviously sowing the seeds of some kind of, like, love triangle in the future, I'm pretty sure. Does Anna come... Oh, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for me. Um, in this episode, she is like, well, I'm not going to see you again for the rest of the summer because I'm going on... I'm sailing to Tahiti! And that's... In the, in the previous Leon, they specifically reminded us... That at some point, Seth said that he would like to sail to, to Tahiti. Tahiti. So, Anna's essentially the perfect, right? We're being told, we're being led to believe she's the perfect person for Seth. But in this context, in this episode, she has indeed manic pixie dream girled him because yeah. she gave him the courage yep. for real yep. to turn around and walk away from Summer. Do you know what women think is sexy, Seth? And he goes, oh, I don't know, um, guys who play water polo. Confidence. Confidence, Cohen. Confidence, Cohen. And she's, yeah, the whole thing is just, it's just, it reeks of manic pixie, your dream girl. Yeah, just up and down. So, okay. Ryan is with Marissa. Seth ditches Summer. Uh, Luke leaves. That's right. He leaves in a huff. So Summer has no date, <laughs> which we goddamn love. Um, we love to see it. Um, we love this for you. Cotillion is happening. Uh, the kids are dancing. And this is where Holly's dad comes upon Jimmy. And Jimmy's looking at the kids dancing. And Holly's dad is like, hey, Jimmy, so you've been kind of squirrely lately. Did you bring the check? And Jimmy's like, no, I didn't bring the check. And uh, Holly's dad is like, why the fuck didn't you bring the check? And Jimmy just keeps saying things like, "Let's just, let's just enjoy the. Don't the kids look great? Aren't the, aren't the, don't the girls look beautiful?" Were this not Newport Beach, Jimmy would be correct in his observation that this is neither the time nor the place for such an interaction. However, because this is Newport Beach, and someone gets punched at every <laughs> function that happens, and three out of four times it's Ryan. <laughs> He gets what's coming to him. A nice change of pace. Ryan doesn't get punched in this episode. Oh, no, he does. He gets punched earlier, but he doesn't get punched in Cotillion. And he doesn't punch back. So fucking Holly's dad just wails on Jimmy. It's the fucking best. The kids are dancing and he's like, where the fuck is my money, Cooper? He's like just punching him again and again. And who comes to his aid? Sandy. Sandy. Which is exactly the kind of redemption that we needed because there's been some tension uh, between Sandy and Jimmy. Not actually, I would say, between each other, but with their wives, right? Sandy has made it pretty clear to Kirsten that he's not really happy with these goings on. But anyway, he flies to the rescue. Uh, <laughs> fucking Holly's dad lays into Sandy immediately. <laughs> he just slugs her in the fucking face. Uh, eventually somebody wrestles Holly's dad out of there. Is it cops or something? 
It's not know. cops. It's maybe private security, maybe other dads. Who cares? Yeah. He gets out and he's like, he's a thief! He's a thief! He's a thief! He's correct. He's very correct. Yes. Uh, Marissa's having a real hard time of it. Um, Ryan finds Marissa, who has escaped from this scene. Uh, she's pretty sure that they're fucked. Because, oh, if you remember from an earlier episode, from the model home, uh-huh. um, she was privy to the private conversation between Kirsten and Jimmy that revealed the $100,000 loan. And that was the Jimmy saying, we never lie to each other. Yep. yep and we yep, always yep. tell the truth. So or... she had an inclination that shit was going on. She was also the one that was hiding Jimmy from the Securities and Exchanges Commission for a while. We learned about that in episode one. So Ryan comes upon Marissa. Uh, she's doing just... None of the acting in this show is good. Literally none of it is good. Her body language... She's essentially doing like French mime of I'm cold. I mean, it could be because I have just a general soft spot for Ben McKenzie because he seems to be the only person in the world who has ever been famous who is irrational about crypto. But I feel like (laughs) Ryan is okay at acting. (laughs) No. In a lot of those shot reverse shots, it's not good. He's not good. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's the OC. It doesn't matter. Good is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, I behold him to be fine. Good is, what is it? Good is the enemy of great or great is the enemy of perfect yes. or whatever the fuck. Yes. So Ryan takes his coat off and is like, you're obviously cold. He's like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm a little fucked up right now because is my dad going to prison? I don't know. Uh, and then Luke is there. And Luke's like, I came as soon as I heard do you want me to drive you home? And Marissa's like, I need some time to be alone. I do appreciate that this is the Kelly choosing herself from 90210 moment <laughs> of this episode of Marissa as a character. She could have been like, Ryan, I just need to be held. Right. By your strong arms. Or she could have been like, in a moment of emotional weakness, she could have been like, I'm going back to Luke because he's comfortable but she already did that. He's the known, known. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But she doesn't. Yeah. She's really nice. You're right. She chooses herself. And this is essentially the wrap up, right? Uh-huh. And we're only 48 minutes in. Well, gay panic count. Yeah. Okay. So at one point, uh, yes, it's at the cotillion practice. Um, it is when... Uh, yes, that's right. It's when they're dancing. It's when Marissa's dancing with Ryan. Fucking Luke comes in and goes... Uh, you know, I might, uh, I might be a little concerned about this if Ryan wasn't gay. If Chino wasn't gay. Ch- oh, that's he right. Says. He doesn't even say his name. Yeah. If Chino wasn't gay. <laughs> and he gets a nice snicker out of that. But he does recognize that gay people are born that way. So this is the moment of growth. <laughs> are we four for four gay panic on these episodes? We are four for four. God damn it. Yep. Um, the Rosa count is zero. She is nowhere to be found in this episode. So maybe they just dropped her. <laughs> they fired her now that they have Ryan. <laughs> like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's, he's poor. He cooks bacon. He can earn a living. He can, he can earn his keep <laughs> by making everyone's beds and washing my bras. <laughs> Ryan, too much starch. <laughs> Um, other extraneous notes. I have how many times are they putting Summer in a goddamn bra? Yeah, okay. Oh my god. And in those scenes, it's not like she's trying to put a top on. No. She's just like gallivanting around. I want to know what the direction for those scenes were. Was it like lean forward? We can't (laughs) see enough of your cleavage. Right, yeah. Can can you hold this piece of... Right, because it's always she's ostensibly changing. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but when I'm changing, that means I'm transitioning from one garment being worn to wearing another garment. You have obviously never had a sleepover with girls. <laughs> right? Because the direction for these scenes where Summer is in her bra really are, they're like, they're like, okay, hold the garment up. Don't cover your breasts with it, but do hold it up in such a way that your forearms come together 
to lift your boobies up. That's the best thing we can do. So don't cover you boobies with the with the garment you are apparently putting on. Here's what I'm going to say about this. You were raised Catholic. I was raised by lapsed Catholic parents. So perhaps we have a different perspective on traipsing around in your under things <laughs> than like the rest of the world does. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe you chicks like to hang out in their underwear and talk about the breast size. I don't know. <laughs> I am 44 and I refuse to entertain this train of thought any longer. Okay, so we're four for four gay panic. We're four for four gay uh, panic. We're at least two for four summer in her bra. Uh-huh. Two out of four. Um... Why is there a full martini set up in the pool house where the miner is going to live? (laughs) I do like that moment where Kirsten catches herself. She's like, well, we should get rid of some of these towels for all of your... Oh, that's right. You don't have anything. Oh, that's right. You own nothing. Oh, that's right. Your parents ditched you with nothing but the shirt on your back. She's like, well, I guess we should buy you some underwear. And Seth is like, oh, my God, Mom. Never say underwear again. Everyone is healthy about boundaries and sex. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Seth, guess what? People wear underwear, my man. Uh, This is, of course, the same Seth Cohen that did not think to bring toilet paper to the model home. Just because you never take off your underwear because you're a never nude. (laughs) You fucking weirdo. (laughs) We're talking about Seth, right? Yes. Yeah. Do Do you know how long... How long, long underwear would have to be for Seth? <laughs> it would have to be like 23 feet long to accommodate his outrageous torso. You guys, we thought it was just the shirt that he was wearing in one scene, but then he put on a different shirt and we were like, nope, that is a long ass torso. <laughs> this dude is a fucking <laughs> praying mantis. What kind of music does the band Outrageous Torso play? <laughs> oh. What do you think? They play on the finale of season one of the OC. (laughs) More notes. More notes. Um, I think we have gone... I have Sandy morality speech in my notes, but I don't have anything to follow up that. So I don't... What was his morality speech? Um, I mean... Oh, I think it was something about, like, his biggest secret is sometimes he likes living here. Oh, Okay. So he has a few morality speeches, yeah. actually. He's got the one with Kirsten. We love a Sandy morality speech in this house. Go. When Kirsten is like, when Kirsten is trying to defend Jimmy's actions, um, Jimmy's, it, it's really apparent. Sandy comes out very blunt, uh, very bluntly with his opinion of Jimmy, right? Says he's a spoiled rich kid who had everything handed to him on a silver platter and. Something, something, something. And Kirsten goes, like me. And Sandy brilliantly says, no, not like you. Because you would never steal from your friends and your family. And Kirsten, and again, this really very brilliantly reveals her similarities to Jimmy. This bitch. She's like, you've got me wrong, Cohen. There is nothing I wouldn't do for my family. Up to and including Tennis lessons. (laughs) Okay. So I think that we are, this brings us to Hero Villain Corner. Okay. And I do also have in my notes, Evan's Double Villain Corner, all caps lock. (laughs) Oh, good. So you wanted me to remind you of that. Evan's Double Villain Corner. Okay. We already touched on this a little bit, but it absolutely bears repeating. Ryan knows sort of instinctively, what is good for him because of his life experience and not even just the whole entirety of his life experience sort of up to this point. Just the last, like, number of days have proved that he can avoid conflict by avoiding certain people. My two villains for this episode are the two people who time and again ignored Ryan's desires, ignored Ryan's intuition, and just dragged him around like a puppy for their own pleasure, for their own little drama, for their own kicks. I've got 
double villains of Marissa Cooper and Seth Cohen. <gasps> They're both just the goddamn worst in this episode. I think I paused it multiple times to be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> he is on the cusp of being arrested and like thrown into the fucking penal system where Weevil will kill him. If he gets into another fight, he's already burned down a house. Straight up, the sheriff of Neptune will not come to save him. <laughs> no amount of backup will ever help him again, by which I do mean a big slobbery dog. No one will be able to help his ass if he gets into more trouble. And that was been, I mean, that was made very plain by Sandy and Kirsten. And then, okay, a little bit Kirsten is also on the hook. But like you said earlier, Seth and fucking Marissa are the absolute goddamn worst in this fucking episode. I'm gonna say... I mean, Seth is always a villain for me. <laughs> I want to take Seth and bury his little body. I mean, the, his extremely long His body. extremely long torso body <laughs> at the bottom of Lake Michigan. Just for being Seth. So that goes without saying. But, like, here's another thing. Marissa... Is just a confused, horny teenage girl. Oh my god. She's confused and horny. And she's a teen. I cannot fault her 100% for her actions. I think they are stupid. <laughs> but I don't think that they make her a villain. You would think that I would say Jimmy is a villain for stealing everyone's money. But Jimmy is the hero <laughs> of this episode. He's your MVP? He is my MVP. Oh, wait, is it hero or MVP? Are they it's, the same thing? It hardly matters. <laughs> you got you got a fucking... Why is Jimmy There's Cooper no the hero? style guide to this show. There's no <laughs> Wikipedia. No one is going to call us on this. Steal the rich people's money. Take it. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> he wanted $250,000. Uh, Holly's dad did not for like, hey, I would like to donate this to a cause. I need this to... Uh, what do you need $250,000 for? He was investing in real okay, estate. Okay, but in general, in the real world, can you think of a thing where you, Evan, would say, shit, I need $250,000 for this thing that matters. Yeah, I could think of a lot of things I would use $250,000 on. But what these, is this question? This question is, none of these people are taking their 250000 of dollars and doing anything meaningful with it. <laughs> well, I mean, Jimmy isn't doing anything meaningful either. He's just keeping Julie... What is their youngest daughter's name? Caitlin. Caitlin, thank you. He's mostly just taking fucking Julie and Caitlin... Like, to Disney World every other day or whatever the fuck they do. And I don't give a fuck. <laughs> wow, Jimmy is your MVP for this episode. He is not my MVP. I'm just saying he is a neutral person. But we stand for stealing from the rich. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. He's not exactly Robin Hood. He's not giving to the poor. He's giving to Marissa. How is she going to have tank tops? <laughs> he's got to he's got to keep Marissa in the low rise jeans to which she's accustomed. Exactly. <laughs> there are so many low rise garments in this fucking episode. Oh my god, it just looks painful. I'm surprised the gowns aren't low rise. <laughs> but truly, truly, Anna's outfit, the blazer, the low rise skirt, the wide belt, the black and white two-tone cuffs that was like someone put that in a museum of <laughs> 2004 we do open on a scene of ryan and seth playing dynasty warriors and ryan has his stupid little leather choker on and his stupid little leather wrist cuff he has his wrist cuff and his leather choker the whole time that he's not at cantillion this is why i have in my notes and hat tip to Daniel Lavery, formerly of The Toast. Go look up this article because it is a gem. Ryan Atwood, big lesbian energy. 
Okay, so who was your villain? Seth. Seth is your villain. Okay, Seth, okay. Seth is my villain. Can you can you elaborate on to why Seth is your villain? Is it the same reason I, or is it for a different reason? It's because Seth cannot decide what he wants in a woman because he refuses to even consider the fact this goes back to him being like oh marissa you don't you listen to punk rock (laughs) oh my god he doesn't see women as human he has the conversation with anna where anna's like i like graphic novels and he's like what Girls read? <laughs> you have opinions? <laughs> I never considered such a thing. You you know things? I don't know you. He could get an entire run of Spider-Man tattooed on his torso. Like every page of every serial issue. And that's just the front of his body. He could get, like, crossovers <laughs> from, like, Dark Horse comics on his back. <laughs> this will never stop being funny to me. I can't wait until we see him shirtless. It's very funny. I'm just going to gawk. <laughs> just be like, wait, he's like, see, he's like the fucking Midgard serpent. And they're obviously going to keep him <laughs> His fucking body encircles the earth. <laughs> his fucking torso is an Ouroboros just fucking consuming itself. <laughs> Shit. Okay, I'm going to do my MVP. I'm pretty sure my MVP for this episode is Sandy. Um, Ryan, I feel, doesn't actually display a whole lot of agency. Um, Sandy does a lot of hero moves here. Um, he uh, fucking adopts Ryan, essentially. Um in the course of the show, he's fighting for, uh, he's just doing his job as a public defender, um, in a number of scenes where he's being interrupted and he's working on a lot of cases, um, for, uh, you know, kids that need help. That's another one of his morality speeches where he's talking about, I think Kirsten is like, well, can you defend Jimmy? Can you like help him in court? And he's like, no, the people that I defend have no, other recourse have nobody on their side have no wealth have no generational anything generally are not white (laughs) fuck jimmy uh yeah so sandy has a bunch of hero moments here um stan sandy cohen yeah yeah he comes to jimmy's defense even though jimmy is not necessarily the greatest guy in his eyes um he he still supports his wife, uh, even though he doesn't necessarily agree with what she's doing. Um, he takes those stupid kids to the fucking cotillion when they decide to. He's like, let's fucking roll. <laughs> He's like, Transformers, transform and roll out. Form of white privilege. <laughs> right, yeah, God. What, fucking cotillion. What the fuck is up with that? We could have an entire episode on just how fucked up the whole concept of cotillion is. That's a Patreon episode. Just kidding. We will never have a Patreon. <laughs> Do not try to send us money. Don't look us up. We don't know you. <laughs> um, that's okay. That's my MVP. Next question. That was, those are the only, that's the last questions that we have. Oh, I have to give my MVP. I think you outlined it already, all the reasons, but also I will add continued eyebrows. <laughs> Sandy. Sandy Cohen is also your MVP. Correct. Okay. Um, this is a new segment that I'm introducing uh, just now, spontaneously. Oh. Um, this is going to be this is going to be called um, "Who Do You Think Is Going to Win the OC." <laughs> Are you saying that because we haven't watched the season finale of Drag Race yet? <laughs> I've got an inkling Ryan has good. He's got a pretty good shot of winning this thing. <laughs> if he plays his cards right, I think he could do a pretty good job. He's not good in the lip syncs. <laughs> oh, shit. California, Sarah? California, Evan. 
You just listened to Orange You Glad We Watched the OC, recorded in Guest Bedroom Studios, hosted by Sarah and Evan. Original concept and questions by Sarah, recorded by Evan, edited by Evan, uploaded by Sarah. Please give us as many stars as the platform you're listening to this on will allow you to give us. Copyright 2022.